This is Opinionated. I don't really have a full understanding of it, but that won't stop me from having an opinion. That's why we're here. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson. You know, crypto is no longer just about money. It's about culture now. It's like you're thumbing your nose at the process. It's part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming. And it's not just the future of money anymore. As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out. I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company in Silicon Valley. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea. (laughs) And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello, everybody. This is Opinionated, and I am Ben Schiller, and there is Danny Nelson on the Zoom call, and then there is George Kaloudis, who is a research analyst at Coindesk. Very fun people. We've all just come back from Miami. We made it through the week of Bitcoin madness, came out with our livers and brains more or less intact. Arrived at a few stories, I think, although we kind of think that the takeaways from the conference are maybe less momentous than they were last year when we had nation states adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. We didn't quite get to that level of sophistication and drama this year. But anyway, what did you guys think, Danny? Why don't you start us off? What's your uh, first takeaway from last week? Yeah, well, I think the big takeaway is, well, for me, was that Bitcoin maximalism, or rather Bitcoin absolutism, is alive, well, and thriving in this little corner of crypto, or I shouldn't even call it the corner of crypto, because that would endanger my life in the eyes of, or the hands of the absolutists, who really see no room for anything other than Bitcoin. On multiple occasions during the conference, there were interactions between speakers and the crowd that just underscored how much the attendees were really only there for Bitcoin, and they had no room for any other opinions. There were comedians booed, uh, not off stage, but booed heartily when they mentioned that they held other assets. There were any mention on the big stage of anything that remotely related to digital assets broadly, and not Bitcoin specifically, was not greeted well by the crowd. NFTs, what are those? Terrible things. I just was again and again, I, I saw these moments where you see this part of the uh, cryptocurrency community, although I, I don't like to use that term, that really thinks that they are holier than thou and that nothing else is worth even thinking about. And I fear that that closed mindedness won't be good for anyone. Well, I mean, you can put the opposite case, which is to say they have this vehemence, which really underpins this whole community. And they didn't have a sort of passion and this kind of, you know, complete devotion to this project, then we wouldn't be where we are today. What do you think, George? Yeah, I would, I would somewhat agree with what you said, Danny, but also kind of disagree. When everyone was on stage and they mentioned, you know, whatever altcoin, whatever pre-mined coin that they, they like to yell about, there were boos from the audience, but it was very much this persona that these people felt like they had to play. I still saw people running around, you know, wearing boardy Yacht Club hoodies and talking about NFTs. And I walked by a group of people and the guy said, oh yeah, I'm totally loading up on Solana NFTs. And, you know, as a maxless myself, maybe I should have confronted him and started saying, hey man, this is a Bitcoin conference. None of that here. So <laughs> there is a layer of some Bitcoiners when they hide behind Twitter or when they are in an audience and no, you know, the guy on stage can jump out and attack them. They're, they feel like they act, have to act a certain way. So they say, ooh, he said Solana. So boo. So while I agree with you, 
the people on stage were like that. There was a layer of the people running around kind of being not all Bitcoiners, right? Like you're not going to wear an NFT shirt if you're a Bitcoiner. That's true. But having to maintain that act, there's right. a reason why people have to do that. And that is yeah. troubling to me, even if that's not actually what they believe. Well, it's what they're espousing. It's how they're presenting themselves and it is creating a perception. And when all that outsiders have is a perception of a thing, then the reality of that thing might not matter so much. Yeah, I think I agree with you there, Ben. I mean, I did think there was good energy in the, on the floor and people going in and out. And it was really kind of a fun, big event uh, with lots of sort of passionate people, I guess, where everyone's still breaking out of lockdown. So they're looking to have fun and party and get together. All right, second takeaway. I think is the resurgence and resurgence of the Lightning Network as a viable second layer payments layer for for Bitcoin. That was really talk of the conference. What did you think, guys? Yeah, we started off pretty strong with that one right before the conference started on Tuesday. Lightning Labs, which has the most popular Lightning implementation that people use on their Lightning nodes, they announced this new exciting protocol called Tarot marketing to, you know, the tarot route, you know, and they did that because it was made possible by the taproot upgrade that we had last year. And their claim is that we can start putting stable coins on the Lightning Network. We can start putting stocks on the Lightning Network. And that was sort of the big exciting thing that got things kicked off before anyone stepped on stage. And if you spent time at the open source stage, which was sort of around the corner where a lot of the devs were talking, a lot of them were discussing Lightning and how exciting it is that you know Bitcoin started as this peer-to-peer digital cash without an intermediary, kind of adjusted into this store of value narrative over the past, I don't know, five years or so, because right. it was slow and it was hard to use. And recently, we've been seeing a lot of people saying, okay, it's time to use Lightning again to make Bitcoin more cash-like. And, you know, sort of the new hero that has risen is the, the young Jack Maulers who has Strike and that's powered by Lightning. So with new heroes come new narratives and the new narrative is, hey, we're going to start using Bitcoin to buy things, even though there are certain Bitcoin maximalists that would yell at you for even considering that. <laughs> they would yell at you for thinking that you should use Bitcoin to buy things? Yeah, it's sort but, of this don't ever sell ever, right? Yes, but the whole idea that Bitcoin is built around is like internet money. And internet money is for spending. Money is for spending. It's also for saving, but we only have money because we want some sort of mechanism for exchanging value or transfer yeah. value. It's actually kind of a funny problem with this maximalism that you're talking about, Danny. I'm actually I'm forgetting the adjective you used to describe it. But absolutism. absolutism, absolutism, right? This absolutism where like Bitcoin is everything, but a lot of these people believe you should never, ever, ever, ever spend. But if the part of decentralization and private money is that I can do whatever I want with my money. So I don't care if you think, oh, you bought Bitcoin at $3, you're never going to sell it. Okay, that's great. I bought it at 60,000. I'm going to buy some coffee with it when it's 40,000 because I want to. It's it's kind of this this flaw. Loss harvesting. Yes, I was, yes, exactly. It's a tax uh tax move, but it's also, I can do whatever I want with my money. So it's a gap in the, the absolutism that people uh, talk about. I'm glad to see that the digital cash narrative is coming back because that's, I can do whatever I want with the money and money should be flexible. And if I want to put it under my mattress and leave it there forever, so be it. If I want to never, ever hold a single dollar and, and go be a big baller and Bora Bora, then so be it. So aren't we seeing the Lightning Network you know, slowly sort of take hold? Uh, I think Cash App, which I think has 80 million customers, integrated Lightning in, in February. 
we got the Satara announcement now. There were lots of other announcements around gaming and about microtransactions and about remittances. So aren't we sort of taking the Lightning Network to the next level now? And isn't that kind of exciting and something that sort of presages something in the future? I think so. The Cash App announcement was one of those announcements that happened during the week that was sort of swept under the rug. I feel like people weren't paying much attention, but to your point, Ben, if people are going to be using Cash App and they may not understand exactly that they're using the Bitcoin rails, and this is sort of the idea behind Strike, sort of the idea behind the future state of Lightning is that, hey, you might be using the Bitcoin rails to send dollar-denominated payments, but you know, Bitcoin is that settlement layer that, that some people like to talk about. So Cash App being in so many millions of people's hands, enabling the Lightning Network and you could be sending dollars using the Bitcoin rails without even knowing. And that's for Bitcoin, or that's pretty, a pretty exciting development. I'm skeptical of Lightning just because I don't fully personally think of my Bitcoin as something that I'm going to be willing to spend. I think that it's really important to have that settlement layer that makes it easier to use for those who want to. That's just not kind of where I sit on the, uh, the Bitcoin spectrum. All right. All right, let's get to the third takeaway now, which is actually uh, what we're calling underwhelming announcements. So uh, <laughs> that's a good kind of journalistic thing to say how something is underwhelming. But I get, you know, compared to last year where we had this El Salvador announcement, and it, which was a really big deal, first country to make Bitcoin legal tender, it did seem like we were dealing with small beer this year. So we had you know, a senator from Mexico who was saying she was going to speak to the president of Mexico about... She was saying she hoped the president would speak to her. Yeah. She was asking for, the, for a meeting. She was not saying there would be one, which is just it, underscoring the point. And then there was a city in Honduras, which is, you know, bless Honduras. It's not, you know, a big deal, really. So w- what do you make of that, Danny? Were you underwhelmed? Well, so just first off, on a matter of language, I always think it's important for us to think there's overwhelmed and there's underwhelmed. And are we ever just adequately whelmed? Now, <laughs> to, to, I don't know. I don't know. If uh, listeners, please. If you have opinions on this, if you've ever been whelmed, please write in to the show. Yeah. That's like one of those oldie English words, probably. Probably. Anyway, if we've yeah. just been whelmed, I'm, I'm a whelmer. Yeah, so I was definitely not whelmed by the announcements, at least the, the, the banner announcements of the, the nation state adoption. It really does feel like the table stakes now is dictator strong arms Bitcoin legislation through parliament. And if you don't have that, then why are you going to show up? Uh, you know, maybe we don't need to have a dictator. Maybe it's better. In fact, it almost certainly is better to have the Bitcoin you know, adoption move forward through uh, nation states, through the uh, a more procedural democratic process where individuals fully debate, hone their measures and pass something. If for those of us who want to see this movement move forward, but the lineup that they had was just one, two, three, five minutes on stage, five minutes on stage, five minutes on stage, where these politicians from the Spanish and Portuguese-speaking world really didn't say much of anything. And I was underwhelmed. What do you think, George? Yeah. Were you guys there last year with the El Salvador announcement, either of you? I wasn't there personally, no. I was in Miami, but I was not in the room when it happened. Okay. And I wasn't there either. I felt like last year, there wasn't this level of expectation that people who were making the announcements were, hey, I'm totally make an amazing announcement and it's going to blow your mind. For us this year, every single person who was going on stage seemed to make an announcement seemed to be saying, hey, I need 
three mics for my three mic drops. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Samson Niles announcement. He was all over Twitter. People were getting really excited. And he said, I'm going to need three mics, which makes sense when he made three separate announcements, but they ended up being incredibly innocuous. Um, and even the, the big keynote from Jack Mahler's, while very inspiring, the NCR announcement is actually not that big of a deal when you think about BitPay having already done that in 2014. And Bitcoin in 2014 was very different than Bitcoin in 2022. And I'm not here to disparage anything Jack has done. Jack has done a lot for Bitcoin, far more than I have ever done. But all of the news fell flat because our expectations were sky high. Last year, El Salvador, a full real life country, adopting Bitcoin as legal tender is a huge thing that probably will take another, I don't know, five years to happen again. It's, it's completely insane. So I don't think Bitcoiners would be well served going forward, just hyping anything up and just going up there and just saying what the news is. You know, this is our news. Jack should do a keynote every year, though. He's very good at getting people excited. So he should do that every year. Very underwhelming. So Danny, give us some world insight into last week. What was the kind of thing that Stuck in your deep brain. And in my deep brain was the deep state and Peter Thiel's fight to free us from it. During his keynote, he waved around a $100 bill and then threw it into the crowd where the peasants eagerly gobbled <laughs> it up. It was perhaps one of the cringiest things I've ever seen in my short life. Oh my God. Um, it was really muy mal. But yeah, that was a weird thing I saw. I also saw some heartening things like uh, Ross Ulbricht's mother, Lynn Ulbricht, Ross Ulbricht being Dread Pirate Roberts, one of the, uh, the key figures in the Silk Road, or one of the early use cases for Bitcoin, of course, was illicit drugs and hitmen and all that fun stuff. Bitcoiners widely think of Ross as being made an example of unfairly by the US justice system. And he is you know, in prison for a very very long time. And his mother was there trying to advocate for his release. Also, I don't know if you guys noticed, but in the art gallery that kind of centered the whole conference center, there were some pieces of artwork from Ross himself. They were actually pretty good. And they were really filled with emotion. They were next, right next to the rare Pepe's. It was a weird contrast. You know, you have this imprisoned, some might say activist next to Pepe telling you to, uh, buy more government debt, mm. stuff like that. Interesting. George, you have any weird stories? Maybe not weird story in particular, but I meeting a lot of the open source developers that go by fake names was kind of cool. I mean, they're living this pseudonymous lifestyle. They were wearing, you know, stuff covering almost their entire face. And they're saying, oh, I'm this person. Like, right. there's no way you were named that by, that's not your God-given name. There's just no chance. But it was really cool to see them be there, talk openly on stage, covering their face. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. It's. Uh... I didn't realize who those guys were. I thought they were covering their face because of COVID. <laughs> well, my weirdest moment was at the Tron party, which was pretty fun. Uh, and there were some mermaids in the swimming pool and they didn't have any clothes on. So that was pretty funny. All right. Just a reminder that Coindesk is organizing an enormous, beautiful event in Austin, Texas this June. It's called Consensus, and it's going to be really amazing with 15,000 attendees, 400 speakers and lots and lots of fun. And I think Danny Nelson will even be there. I will be there. In fact, I will be. I'm very excited. I'm going to go boot shopping and I'm going to get these big, glorious cowboy boots. They're going to be super flamboyant. I'm going to look fabulous. Going to wear them with my hat, strut around the conference. 
You're going to look like Jimmy Song. I'm going to curb stomp some Bitcoin maximalists. It's going to be bloody. We're going to have a great time, you guys. Everyone be there. All right. Okay, that was uh, the one and only Danny Nelson. And that was George Kaloudis. And I'm Ben Schiller. And this is the end of the podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Danny Nelson, and guest George Kaloudis. Today's episode was produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme song is by Ellison. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, opinionated, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.